0: Well, we are going to spend the next two weeks talking about freedom. I knew I was going to preach these two weeks, so I was, I was ahead of time this two weeks. Uh, a lot of our band's out hanging with their families, so blessing to you guys as you're all over the place taking care of their families. This week we're going to talk about freedom, and freedom is such an interesting concept, especially for people that are free, um, that come from a country that's free. I was talking to a Cuban friend of mine, and he was telling me how all his mom would remind him everything about how she had to win her freedom, you know, he He'd have a bad day at school, and he'd come home and say, and Mom, i say, what's wrong with you? And he'd say, well, I just had a bad day at school. And she said, did the communists hit you today? You know, you're like, well, no, Mom, I just had a bad day at school. Are you free? We have a, we have a problem with freedom uh, because we probably are born in a country that's free. Uh, I'll give you an example. We have uh, two brothers in our student ministry, and I don't know about this, probably not in your family. But brothers and sisters tend to fight. Um, I'm sure that never happened in your world. But uh, these brothers are fighting constantly. There could be a brown bag on the floor, and they'd fight over the brown bag. And they came into the student ministry center one of the nights, and they were arguing. They, and they come, up, Sean, you've got to help us settle an argument. Never want to be in that position. Just never want to be in that position. And they came in, They they had gone out to eat at a place where you would know, some place the a restaurant that you would know, and that you can get some food relatively quickly. And the older brother had bought a... Uh, Bought a meal, soda, drink, fries, and things like that, and paid six or seven bucks for that. The younger brother had bought a milkshake and paid six or seven bucks for that. It cost six or seven bucks. And they said, do you think that the milkshake could, you know, do you think that's worth that much money? And they started debating back and forth, and got, they liked to yell, and yell at each other, no, you're stupid, all that kind of stuff. That's real healthy for brothers. And they debated back and forth, and finally, I realized after listening to the problem, the problem wasn't the cost of the milkshake, six or seven dollars. The problem was uh, um, the younger brother uh, bought the milkshake for 6 or $7 but didn't pay the cost. The older brother paid for the milkshake. He paid the $7. So the younger brother enjoyed all the pleasures of it, where the older brother that's now working and sees $7 go out of his bank account says, I don't think a $7 milkshake is worth it. The younger brother said, oh, definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. Now let me explain what that happens. What happens a lot of times is church is we come in and we tell you, Jesus died for you, but you never actually paid the cost. So you abuse the freedom that you have in Jesus because you never actually had to pay anything. In the same way, we're living in a... In a in a culture that American culture is free, uh, but there are a very small percentage of people that actually paid for the freedom. We have some vets that have done that work. Um, We have some people that have families where they lost a soldier in the middle of protecting the border or protecting a, a, a country. But we come very flippant in our conversation, our lips about what rights we have in being free when it never actually cost us anything. In the same way, our faith can be that way. I'm free in Jesus. Why? Because he had to pay it all. And the more you mature in Jesus, you realize that Jesus often asks you to make the same sacrifice that he makes in areas of your life. And so we're going to talk about it. It's really basic. It's the same thing that the scripture in the Old Testament, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There, that's, that's not a good saying. That's a way to live. And it's areas of your life that Jesus wants to be Lord of. Your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And so this week we're going to look at the cost of freedom, and the next week we'll look at some responsibilities that come along with it. But it, it, the, the hardest solution to solve, Jesus solved. But we can very much be like the younger brother that doesn't lose any money and spends our time in there. Paul Paul walks us through with the church in Romans. He's trying to help these people that are, just came to Jesus. And, and, he, and he walks them through this passage about what actually happened. And so we're going to read that today. You'll see it on the screens. If you're, if you're able to stand, please stand with us. And we're going to read Romans chapter 8. We're going to read the first four verses. And then we'll jump to something I shared next, last week um, in relationship to VBS. But it has a little more deeper meaning for those of us that walk the walk here. Let's read together from the Word of God, Romans chapter 8, and verses 1 to 2, and then jumping to the 20th verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For the God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And then jumping to verse, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And now verse 20. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the whole creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await the eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray together. Lord, I I wish you hadn't included that last verse. I'm not real good at waiting for patience for anything. Help us to get there as we study your word today, to understand what you mean, to live as you lived to pay the price for things that you're asking us to pay for. Bless us in our time in the Word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I, uh, we came back Thursday night late, and we were working on some, just working on the vehicle a little bit. Had to get ready for the Cayman Brack team. And uh, again, I was away from my wife for a week, so she wanted to, you know, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's fix the world. Let me tell you everything that happened. Because girls, what's that word? Communicate. And... Uh, um, I, I'm not really good at communicating, so we were up early walking, and, and I was exhausted after a whole week in Atlanta, and I, and I turned the corner, and we saw the Cayman-Brack team um, leaving in their vans, and I have never been so happy to wave at other people as they went on a mission trip. I was just, <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you, you know, and then after fixing everything, going crashing, and, and uh, you know, there's a physical price to things. You all know that. You're here. Uh, my wife sang in the earlier service to help one of her students out and she's not, she's not an early person and so she woke up at the time I wake up and she's like, I don't know why Jesus woke me up this early. And I was like, listen, you sing and you sing for Jesus and stop your complaining. There's a cost. And we did ministry in Daytona Beach for years. We knew that our biggest battle was a mile away. The beach was there. And if we were going to do any consistent ministry, we need to know that what we did in-house had to be just as life-giving as sitting on the beach reading a book. And part of being a believer is walking through these different costs, and one of the costs is physically being here, and physically being a part of a body, and we know that. That's why we smile when uh, parents come in with their children, and there's two different shoes, or today is ballerina day and cowboy day, and the parents just look tired, and we say, you need some coffee. We know it. We know it when you come in, and there's not always a smile on on your face, because the first thing that we walk through in this scripture is that there is a physical cost to freedom. Let me explain what I mean. In your house, in your life, in your personal life, you may feel trapped. You don't feel like you have space to express yourself. And what you have to figure out is how to move those borders a little bit wider. We have very clear borders in our country on at least two sides. Part of the third side, we have water surrounding our country. That allows you geographically to develop different than European countries develop. Because they often have a hill or a road. And half of your family lives in a different country. It's just across the road. Different way of developing. So in America, we have these freedoms that are set by the geography of our country. We only have to deal with other people from different cultures in this way or in this way. And it's cold up here. so we have this unique thing, this set of freedoms that we have, and we think we have these borders, but then we start finding ourselves in a situation where we feel kind of trapped. Now, biblically... Jesus knows that's where we're at spiritually. And before creation began, in foreknowledge, he knew what would happen if he'd let us do our own thing. And he knew the cost. And he paid it anyway. As you see on the screen there in Romans chapter 3, Paul's trying to lay this out. He's saying God did what the law couldn't do. The law just tells you what the boundaries are. There are signs all over the roads about what the speed limits are. How's that working out? In Atlanta, in particular, we were just at, there are, when you pull onto the uh, 75, which goes right through the heart of Atlanta, there's these little stoplights and they go green for two seconds so that car can go, and this red, and then green and red and green. Do you think that worked in my big old white van for a church? (laughs) Nope, I'm going It's green. I should go, the car next to me pulls in front. You can make more rules for people. Try that in relationships. You can make more rules. Boundaries are different than rules. Boundaries are things that can't be moved. You bounce up against them. The law was powerless to change. All the Old Testament has great wisdom in it. And God gave the law to help this nation multiply, but it couldn't save. It could only point out. And so you see there in verse 3 that God sent his own son in the likeness of flesh to condemn all the stuff that happens in this flesh. It's critically important for you to get. Because you may not be struggling with it, but you may have to mentor someone who's struggling with it. The fact that God knew he would have to pay a physical price for you to have personal freedom gives you great wisdom that you may have to pay a physical price for your boundaries to be expanded. The idea of a child is wonderful. The child teething, not so wonderful. The idea of a marriage is wonderful. Go to Vegas, get married in front of Elvis, do it. The experience of a marriage is not the wedding. The idea of a career is wonderful. The first three months on the job aren't always that great. You can get tired. You can get worn out. And get exhausted physically. So I'll be praying for the Cayman Brack team this week because I know what it is to be exhausted physically and God keep asking you to move on. But it's whether they're willing to sacrifice it that matters. Let me give you an example. David, who is a king in the Old Testament, had the heart of God. That's all we know about David, really. We know a lot of his life, but we don't know much about what's going on in his head except he had a heart like God. And he had sinned, he had messed up. But the problem is, as a king, when he messed up, it multiplied. It affected everyone. And God said, man, dude, you messed up. And this is going to affect the entire kingdom. And so David is scrambling around trying to figure out how to sacrifice something to God. How to give God an offering worthy that he would forgive David. So it didn't pour out into other people's lives. You know this. The sin of your parents, no matter what small, tiny thing in their life poured out into you. If they were sarcastic... You become sarcastic. It just pours down generation after generation into people's lives. David's trying to stop this and he goes to this this guy, uh, Anaric, who just had a threshing floor where they threw the grain, broke it down so they can use it. And David looks at this and says, "This, This is like, this is worthy of God. And so he goes to him and he says, This the servant says, my Lord, why'd you come to the servant? And David says, I want to buy the threshing floor from you, what we would think of as a factory. I want to buy your factory, and I want to build it in an altar to the Lord. Now, that's real specific because there were a lot of gods around there. It's like today. There are a lot of people that worship a lot of things. They worship the man upstairs, fate, Mother Earth, uh, karma, all these kind of things. No, I want to give an offering to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the Lord who created heaven and earth. So therefore it has to be good enough. And I want to give that offering so the plague can be averted for these people. And the servant says back to him, let my lord the king take it. Take an offering. Whatever you seem good to me, just give me whatever seems good to you. Take my oxen for the burnt offering. Take the threshing sledges, what we would think of kind of like wooden kind of things that they would use. Take that And the yokes of my oxen, break it down, use it for it. Take the whole business. You're the king. All this, king, I'm going to give to you. And I hope the Lord, your God. Did you notice that? Because you're going to live that. You're going to talk about a God that people don't know. I hope the Lord, your God. I have that all the time. The more you walk around with Jesus, people say, who are you following? Well, I follow Jesus. I hope that works out for you. I hope your God works out for you. This guy isn't even a believer, and he says, take all this. Just take it so that your God would bless you. Here's how you know David has a heart like God. But the king said to him, no, I will buy it for you for a price. What that means is I'm not just going to pay you fair market value. I'm going to pay above what it's worth. I will not Offer, burn offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. 240 years ago, um, 10 soldiers died in South Carolina. We only know this because last spring they found their bodies. They weren't looking for their bodies. They were looking for artifacts that they could sell. Somebody was doing a graduate project. They found one, a Scottish Highlander that was loyal to the crown. He was laid there with his arms across his chest and all his armament that was left after the years. The rest of the bodies they found scattered around because they were colonists. They were thrown in a heap pile all around. We know at least five of them were teenagers. We know all of them were shot and killed in that battle. The only significance of the battle is that the colonists lost. They lost the battle, and it made this early set of 13 colonies grow up. They said, we have to change how we do stuff. We have to change our generals, or captains, because we got whooped. For 240 years, those bodies laid in the ground. Since August of 1780, in disarray. It was only last spring that they were given a full military funeral and laid to rest in caskets with markers. They paid the cost for freedom, and no one knew about it. The maturity of you as a believer is whether, like David, you are going to give the Lord sacrifices that cost you nothing, or whether you're willing to give up even your own body. That means you may have to physically walk over to your neighbor and build a relationship with them before you tell them to stop their dog from barking at night. That means you may have to go on a walk with your wife when you just got back from Atlanta at 8 p.m. With a bunch of teenagers all week and you're exhausted to restore the relationship that you missed during the week. That may mean you have to, may have to spend time with a boss who you do not like so you know more about the boss, so you get to like them, so the Lord lays a burden on your heart for them. There is a physical cost if you want your boundaries expanded. The Lord knew that, and he did it. He fulfilled the requirements, of the law, in flesh. Here's a second thing that happens, though, that you may not be aware of. We're pretty good with the physical stuff as Americans. We, like, point at a task and do it. In fact, that's one of the things you learn on a mission trip. You go to these places, and, and they say, hey, welcome. You can put away your watches. I'm like, what? Like, your time does not matter here. We're on island time, or we're on African time. We, we do things at a different time. And Americans go there, like, we're going to fix this nation. <laughs> We're coming in. They go, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm up at 6 a.m. You said we were working this morning. Like, we're working once everybody gets here. Two hours later, everybody gets there. And you're exhausted because you've been up for uh, for two hours. We want to fix and fix. We're not real good at the next two. Freedom has an emotional cost. Now, I shared this last week because we knew there'd be some families here that needed to hear this. This is a great section of Scripture when you're dealing with people that don't know the Lord. They are frustrated, and they don't know why. This Scripture points to that, of saying all creation is frustrated. It's a result of sin. You have this hope. In Greek, uh, Greek philosophy was the idea of this ideal. You know how life should be. You know what a chair should be. But then you sit in your chair, and your chair's like bumpy on the left side. Your leg keeps falling asleep. Look at the verse in verse 20 and 21. Creation was subject to futility and not willingly. Not willingly. Before the beginning of time, God said it has to be their choice to come to me. And so I want them to live in this tension where they see everything going wrong. The hope is that creation itself would be set free. But it doesn't necessarily stop there. let does just talk about birds and bees being frustrated. Here it continues on in verse 22 and 23. Not only creation is groaning for things to change, but we groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit working in us, we groan inwardly as we wait for God to fix stuff. Getting people to go on mission trips and physically work is, is hard work. I got to tell you, I do it a lot. Getting people that are used to turning their TV or used to just listening to their phone, uh, we made sure that when we sat down to dinner, all the phones went away. That was very hard for one student in particular um, to put their phone away and not have it out during the meal. It was like, Very hard. We had to do surgery with his hand. Pull it out. That's not as hard of the emotional life to say we are all in this together and we're all not perfect together. That's what happens when you build a family. That's what happens when you build a church. It's the emotional issues that struggle with and get in the way. We see this, by the way, in Jesus' work before he went to the cross. He knew what he was going to do and it wasn't just the physical struggles. As you look in in, uh, Mark chapter 14... It talks about him going in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it talks about in the 33rd verse of that chapter of him saying, he took with him Peter, James, and John. So he took with him his core support group. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. That, that is man talk right there. That, that, that's translated to about to have a Breakdown. I'm very happy to be in a relationship with somebody who's extremely emotionally open and she will let me know when she's gonna have a breakdown there's no hiding there are tears coming out you may be that kind of person this is man talk right here he was greatly distressed great do you think so he knew that after this point anyone could beat on him he knew he was going to be whipped to the point of near death then would have to carry the instrument of death, and then be crucified on trumped-up charges and, and killed for nothing he had done. Do you think that's distress? And he says to him, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Just stay here and watch. Just Can you just watch with me? do you have any emotional ministry in the Lord? Are you the sounding board for anyone that when they're getting crushed in the world, they know they can come and sit alongside you or are you only trying to fix people? Because Jesus said, just stay here and watch me. I have to go through this. You're not going through this. Just stay here and watch me. And you know what happened with that. They fell asleep, but... And then going a little bit further, Jesus doesn't pray, thank you, Lord, that I'm going through this stress. Thank you, Father, that all this stress is on me. I'm good enough. I can handle it. Thank you, Father, I can take these pills and be done with this stress. I can talk to a therapist. No, he says, Lord, if there's any way to take this cup, take it. Please, get it off of me. Not what I want, but what you want. If you read the same passage in Luke, you can see a little more information because Luke kind of comes at it from a doctor kind of perspective. It says not only was he in agony, but then he began to pray really deeply and his sweat becomes like great drops of blood. Now, we know this clinically from psychiatrists and doctors that deal with people in high stress situations, that often there will be refugees and when they have a breakdown and they start Having in the middle of the breakdown, the capillaries on their face, which is where your skin is closing, will actually burst. They'll actually burst, and usually it will be bruising. But if not, it comes out that the blood actually mixes with the sweat. That's how bad Jesus was. And yet he knew it, and he did it for you. Freedom has a cost. I have prayed over too many people that have died afterwards and sat with too many couples that are struggling in their marriage who don't get healed. I've sat in the hospital with babies who are not going to survive. I've been with people in their last breath. There is an emotional toll if you want to do what Jesus does. You have to be willing to give him not only your body. I'm in church on Sunday. I do good work that looks good on the outside. You also have to be willing to give him your heart and say, I may get crushed by this person who I'm serving. My job is to raise my family, and I may get crushed by one child who goes this way, and it may break my heart, but it's still a ministry that that is worthy of the kingdom. There's a physical cost, but there's also an emotional cost. And in a world where we have a lot of freedoms, we tend to say to each other, what I want is what matters most, and that's not always true. Sometimes you do not get what you want. Not my will, but your will, Lord. Not my cup, Lord, but the cup you give me. Not what I, freedom is not, I get what I want, Freedom is I have enough space that if it's there, I can pick it up. Do you have an emotional palate that's broad enough that when somebody's crying, you can sit beside them? Or when your buddy's going through a horrible week, you can be the person they bounce it off because they know you're there. Freedom has a physical cost, an emotional cost. Last thing, freedom has a mental cost. Uh, On one of our first days in Atlanta, we took the students um, to Dr. King's birthplace and to the Ebenezer Baptist Church, um, where they got to just see all that area. It's become a huge kind of memorial thing where you can see the church where he preached in, the house that he was born. And what you quickly realize when you walk into this place is not only the place where he was born, but it's also the place where his body rests. In opposition to this little flame, there's a fountain, and in the middle of that fountain is he, Dr. King, and his wife, Coretta Scott King. Their bodies are laying there. Out of this little tiny church community in Atlanta, they came up with an idea, how do we change things for our people in our nation? And they came up with this idea of nonviolent reaction. And they sat down, the students debated it one night and talked about it as we sat down with our Bible study. This whole idea of literally turning the other cheek And and again, this is history to them, not something they lived through. They didn't see it happen. And so we had to talk to them about what would happen if you as a teenager, we sat you in a church fellowship hall, because that's where the training went. We sat you in a church fellowship hall, and we had people yell at you and abuse you over and over again so that you didn't make the fatal mistake of swinging back at a cop, which would ruin the entire movement. And Dr. King and all the team that worked with them, a huge amount of Christians worked with that particular team, churches all over the place, both black and white of every race. The first thing they had to beat was this. Freedom has a mental cost. They had to be mentally ready before they went out on the street and said anything. For in this hope we're saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. Think of the things you've seen that other people have not seen. You don't have faith in those areas. You've seen them. That's belief. That's belief. You've seen them. So if you've prayed one time and God's answered that prayer, I don't have to ask you if you have faith that God answers prayer. You've seen God answer prayer. That's now belief. But if you get sick, That's a different type of prayer. Because you have to have faith that God's going to do the same work in somebody else in you. Paul's walking through this church in Rome of saying, there's a cost to this. And God had a hope in you. He had a hope for you to be sitting here, to be dwelling in his spirit, a hope in you. But the price of that is waiting with patience. You can give yourself a scale a 1 to 10 right now how patient you are. If not, ask the person next to you. They will gladly tell you. Um, you have to have a lot of forethought going with students and know that you want them to go on a journey that theirs and not yours. This had worked th- through a week of service. We found out the couple days, the last Wednesday before I preached with you last Wednesday, we found out that, hey, the church that we're going to serve at, the entire church had flooded. There was a broken pipe. And so we couldn't stay there, so I was communicating with them um, while also helping Pastor Craig as he was away, kind of figure out what we're doing for a sermon last week, closing up VBS. We're doing VBS. I'm calling around saying, hey, can we just sleep in, like, the pastor's office? He wouldn't mind. Um, you know, you got a bathroom we can sleep in. It turned out none of those things worked, so I went late at night and found an Airbnb. And you have to find an Airbnb that's not like, you have to find, it, well, you have to find an Airbnb that fits in your budget. We're not taking the money you gave at the yard sale and the money you gave for lunches and just going, we're going to stay in this fancy Airbnb. So I looked at all Airbnbs that could fit the certain amount of students we have that were not nice. Just being honest. They were not nice. And because it was the week before, the Lord blessed us. There was tons, you know, people didn't have it used that week. There was tons of sales. Because we were coming in during weekdays and leaving during weekdays, it was great. And I saw there's a basement. there's a garage. Literally, the boys could sleep in the garage in the basement. And there's a second floor. So we come in. The students are already excited about getting in the place. Uh, four of the boys, all four of our boys had to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, you guys got to stay out of here. I got to check out the Airbnb. Because I got to remove anything that's breakable. Mental work. Uh, remove anything that's really artsy but inappropriate, so I don't get any calls. I gotta see what we actually have, and I walk in, basement looks exactly right. I walk up to the next level, it's kind of a nice dining area, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's go up to the third level, it was a palace. It was a palace, a master bedroom, another master bedroom with a sofa, another master bedroom. So I pulled the girls in, apologies girls, that you don't want this story told, but it's a great example. Pulled them in. I said, girls, come on in. The boys like, I have to go to the bathroom. Got to hold it a little bit more. Locked the boys outside. And they're dancing now. (laughs) I said, girls, I'm going to show you your room. The only thing that I'm going to ask you, here's the only boundary. You cannot tell the boys how you're living. (laughs) See the garage we just walked through? That's where they're sleeping on air mattresses. One of them uh, kept deflating... (laughs) There's no air conditioning. Uh, we're we're going to put you in there, girls. You cannot, here's the boundary, you cannot share. Now go upstairs and look at what the Lord has provided for you. Yeah. Of course, they come down to excited. Do you think as a pastor, I thought for one second they would keep that quiet? No. 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 The boundary was you get to keep that room, but if you share it, the rooms flip. It did not take very long for that to get out and we had a UN conference between not girls and boys, now women and men, about what the men would accept as punishment, if they would take the rooms or whether there was another detail available. Because they were senior boys, and because none of them were adult males, the boys were very gracious and just said, girls, you have to wash our dishes and give us a formal tour. If they were freshman boys or middle school boys, they'd be like, no, we sleep in the palace rooms, you know. Being patient is really hard. Paul writes to a church in Corinth the same way. He talks about this idea of of this process. He says, when you come to the Lord, you figure out stuff that other people don't figure out. That's not the first time one group of people on a mission trip have had better housing than other people have had. That's not the first time I gave them a clear boundary. And surprise, surprise, they couldn't keep it in their pocket. That is the first time the boys were very generous knew it was coming. And so you see these things. You know when your buddy brags about something, you're like, oh, that's not going to work out. How do you know? Because I know people and I know sin. So this veil comes off you. And then verse 18, this wonderful verse Paul shares, and we all have unveiled faces. We are beholding the glory of God. We're being transformed into the same image. But he doesn't stop writing. See, that's where I want scripture to end. I wanted to say, we, the holy people that are in church this Sunday, we see Jesus, and He is transforming us just into an image, and that's where the period should be. But He says, from one degree to another. Have you met a young person lately? Many of them have never grown up with an analog clock. Many of them have never had the experience of sitting in a class or at work and watching that second hand move from one degree to another as it tortures you and sucks the life out of you. You're like, I just want this class to end or this sermon to end. (laughs) See, mental work is one degree, one degree, one degree. You don't go from here to there. So that grandmother that calls you all the time, that struggles with anxiety, and she's scared of everything, you want her to get over here. And Paul, as he shares what happened on the cross, he said, God is so patient that he knew it'd be one person gets saved. One person gets saved. One person gets saved. In the same way he knew it was one whip across my back. One fist to my face, one thorn. Are you ready to sacrifice to the Lord things that cost you? Or will you only do it when it's comfortable? It's hard to be patient with your spouse when they need to work something out in their own time, it's hard to be patient with your boss when they're asking over here, but you know it takes this amount of time to get there. It's hard to be patient when you cry out to the Lord and you say, God, I just want you to fix this. And God says, no, I'm working this in degrees. I'm not trying to make you old. I'm trying to make you mature. Freedom has a cost. It has a physical cost. It has an emotional cost. And it has a mental cost. And Jesus was willing to pay it so as we close in worship, as the worship team comes back up, we want to give you an opportunity in your prayer time to focus on Jesus, not you. If he was willing to do that for you, that's the essence of the gospel, knowing who you are. And you may not be a mess, but I know I'm a mess. I don't know if I'd be the first candidate that I'd say, that guy needs to get saved in all the planet. Knowing that, are you willing to reciprocate And offer him any of those areas. Saying, God, I'm I'm willing for you to put me in a place where I'm uncomfortable. I'm willing for you to stretch me emotionally. I'm willing to stretch my brain even. For the glory set before us. Let's stand and pray. Father, we know that the story is not about us. That the gospel, if it's true, is about you and your work through humanity. So as we go to our jobs this week, as we celebrate our freedom in this country, we want you to expand the boundaries of what we have in our life. We want to see you do more and more and more and more. We want to have that hope and encouragement like the early church had. Speak to us this morning about what you're asking us to give you. Nothing that you haven't given already. Nothing that you haven't sacrificed already. Speak to us that we be able to reciprocate the, car, the cross that you gave on the cross. Father, we thank you that in all things you work for the good of those who believe. Do that today. As we close in worship today, Lord, help us to lift you up so that we're willing to give the same cost when you call us. Some of us, we haven't even taken that first step. We keep all the stuff and we ask you to do the work. Bring us to be people that know that you're the one that needs to be not just friend, but Savior and Lord. Spirit, lead us as we worship we glorify you that even in our freedom we would sacrifice like you we pray that in Jesus name Amen